0: Welcome to Lady T Speaks Podcast. I'm your host, Tamika, bringing you stories of triumph and inspiration. Today's guest is a co-pastor of the church Strong Tower Christian Center in Snellville, Georgia, an entrepreneur of the Meta Leadership Factory, an author of four books, a business management and leadership professor, and a leadership guru, the talented Mrs. Stacy.
1: Twyman. Hi, Stacy. How are you? Hello. How are you, Lady I- T? It's so good to uh, finally have an opportunity to sit down and talk.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for coming on the show. So right now we are continuing in the midst of the coronavirus. I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So here, because we're so close to New York and, you know, New York is currently One of the hot beds or the hottest bed in the country right now. They project that Philadelphia will become a hot spot as well. So for us, we're locked in place, shelter in place. We're maintaining. And I'm also a registered nurse and I work. So I still work. So we're all maintaining.
1: So how is it in uh, your neck of the woods? Well, from me personally, I'll talk about my little microcosm, if you will. I needed this, Paul. Mm-hmm. I needed this time because I am working on doctorate. I'm teaching school. I'm a co-pastor. I'm a grandmother. I'm married. So I still have all of these things that I was juggling. And then I worked probably about 45 minutes away from where I live. So I believe in maximizing as much potential in this hall as possible. Now, in a broader scope, I believe the world is fearful. I believe we're, you know, we're scared. I believe we are in uncertain times. But I also believe that there is no trial that we could have that God would not provide a way of escape. So I allow scripture and prayer to shape my perspective as opposed to letting external Things affect my mind. I may can't do much about my physicality, if you will. Of course, we're all taking precautions to make sure that we don't become affected with COVID-19. However, I cannot let this season have my mind.
0: For sure. But you know, just on the bright side, just so grateful for the break. Yes. You know, (laughs) but I love that we're all one way or another spending more time with our families, guys willing right, and just able to stop and smell the roses, so to speak.
1: Well, I, my daughter is actually an RN, so I completely applaud you guys for continuing and still working, still helping, and uh, get, making the world better. So I applaud you. Thank you so much for still keeping your boots on the ground, if you your scrubs on the ground. I don't know what y'all those booties on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much. For
0: Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, you know, as the listeners could hear in the title, you are very accomplished. And I'm sure you have your life experiences that molded who you are, you know, your humble beginnings. So can you just tell us a little bit about who is Stacey? where does she come from? Who raised you? How do you become this magnificent person that you are today?
1: Well, I'm Stacey Harris is my maiden name. And I have a twin named Tracy. Now, I came from a family with eight siblings. But prior to we call them the rest of the five, I had have an older sister who is only about eight months older than us. So what does that mean? That means that my mom had my sister before six weeks was up. She was pregnant again with us, and then we, we were premature. We came early. So having to grow up with knowing that I was in the womb with somebody else, and then years later, five other kids coming in, it put me in a situation where I like to be alone. So Stacy is an introvert, really. So even though I have you read a beautiful introduction regarding my titles, but at the core of me, I like being by myself. I like being alone with all. So I grew up in a household of eight uh, with a stepfather who was amazing. Biological father passed away when I think we was about five or six, but my stepfather has been that guy, if you will, since I was probably three or four years old. So Stacey is someone that loves being with herself. (laughs) That took time to get there. And I'll I'll share that a little bit later, but it took some time to get to the place where I like being with me.
0: Wow, that's an interesting story about you and the sibling above the two of you. Yes. And thank God for stepfathers because yes. sometimes, you know, things happen with your bio, biological father and other men step in and step up. And it's awesome. Yes. So what type of mom did you have? How was your mom raising all of you siblings together?
1: Well, my mom was a stern disciplinarian. I want to say before she became a Christian, she was determined that we were not going to be, quote unquote, those kind of girls. So she was a stern disciplinarian. She had a, a handle on us. And then when she joined the apostolic faith, if you will, with weights to holiness or hell, you know, I grew up no pant, uh, no makeup, no getting your hair done, no relaxers. And then more than that, she really couldn't afford to get everybody's hair done. So she went through a phase where her, my, my stepfather and her were separated. So she had to end up moving into some of the worst projects in Atlanta with, at the time, five kids. And it was amazing because we was like, How you still keep getting pregnant and he's not here? What is going on? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so but she never wavered in her faith. So my mom was a woman of faith, like outrageous faith. So she would just do like stuff that we just thought was so bizarre. But we always had food. She just didn't know how to quite manage money. And and it was I say that with my tongue in cheek because most of the money she was kind of given away to the church because my father had passed away. He was a postal worker years ago, uh, almost 40 something years ago, almost 50 years ago. Well, maybe less than 50 years, but she received a social security check for us. And so it's like back then she's getting over $1,000 a month, plus she worked. So why are we living in the project? So later on, we would learn that All of her money was going to the church, but she still refused to accept food stamps. Like I said, with that, she was kind of forced into that situation. We were in, my stepfather was a fireman, so he worked and she worked, plus they had this check. So I remember us staying in a wonderful house in the suburbs with bananas growing in the backyard till... We were in the projects with, you know, rats. I'm like, how does this happen? So it happened because she, you know, she did not value money as much as she should. But as far as a woman that was that was determined that her children would, you know, not succumb to that environment. She was that person. She was maybe. the kind of mom that she, she, if you were down somewhere at Johnny's house and you had no business being at Johnny's house, she's knocking on the door and she's going to get Johnny's mama told, Johnny told, and she's going to snatch you by your collar and drag you back home if she had to. That was
0: old, school. Of- old yes. school. I love it. I yes. love it. So maybe your mom probably had the philosophy that the more you give, the more you receive. And, you know, maybe her hope for all of you, as you stated, was just her being
1: determined that you guys
0: would want to make it and be successful. And in her giving, she
1: received. Well, I explained to her actually a couple of months ago, she was kind of apologizing for not knowing And I'm like, Mom, you don't have to apologize for not knowing. First of all, you were like 20-something. Who knows anything, any something. (laughs) But they swear they do. Well, she she had almost eight kids by the time she was 30. So I'm just wondering why you still have your mind. I had (laughs) two kids, and I called her. I said, can you explain to me how you did this? So, But I said, the most important thing that you could have given us is Jesus. And so I believe her life is prosperous now. My mom is strong. You know, long before COVID virus, and I must say this, COVID-19, my mom was wearing masks. My mom would sit in the church, would sit in the balcony. She didn't want anybody coughing on her. This has been over like 10 years, and we laughed at her. It was like she wore masks to graduations. We just called her a phobic. She's just being a phobic mom. And but, but even with, with us living in the projects, we still had a clean house. She demanded it. So so my mom is a strong woman physically. E- mentally, emotionally, and absolutely spiritually. So I have no regrets from that because that gave me the tenacity to do what I do today.
0: Wow. Absolutely. Your mother's strong. Absolutely. You know, I also wonder, and you let me know, did her mother, I would assume that her mother was alive during the Spanish flu epidemic. And I wonder you know, does she ever, or has she ever said anything about that?
1: She never said anything about that. She just knew that she did not like people coughing. They could be on the other side of the restaurant. She could be on in the parking lot. If she sees them cough, she's not going in. So wow. I, I don't think it had anything to do with the Spanish flu. She's just, she, she's also worked, um, She's retired, but she worked in the kitchen. So she believed in the food and the workers being, she worked for the school system. My grandmother worked as a cafeteria worker for years. So when it came to food and kitchen and things like that, they were meticulous. Very much so.
0: Yeah. So I I only asked that question just because I noticed that generation who, you know, most of them are gone off. That generation where the Spanish flu, I felt like a lot of people had a heightened awareness of sanitation and, mm. you know, we're just more clean. And wow. a lot of us have habits of, you know, putting a cap full of bleach in the
1: water when we wash dishes. Or That's me. Sure. I do that. <laughs> know, I cannot I, wash dishes without bleach in the water.
0: Right. So I wonder okay. how much of that comes from a lot of the experiences that their parents had. During the Spanish flu, because I know moving forward, there will be some things that I do differently. For instance, I might be like your mom and be in the corner with the mask away from people (laughs) now, whereas before I wasn't like that, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. So Well, I took a picture of myself with mask on at Walmart with gloves on. I said, I've become her. And I text that to my family. I've become her. We, you know, and my mom was just chuckling at us. She was like, see, told you.
0: And mom knew mom knew. -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, Stacey, I'm so wonderful that you had the the opportunity and pleasure to just have a wonderful mother to take care of you and your siblings.
1: I did. I still do. Yeah, I still do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's
0: talk about some of the experiences in your early adult life, you know, that was hard for you and you've overcome. Tell us about it.
1: Well, when I was about, i start with about 19, I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I had graduated from high school. I just did not know what, you know, why I was here. So my mom said, you know, you got to get out of this house. You got to find your job. You got to do something. And she was like, go and apply somewhere. I don't care if it's McDonald's. So I went to McDonald's and I applied and got the job and they gave him my uniform and I, they told me you start tomorrow I to, you know, work at, mcdonald's and the first day the person that hired me the guy that hired me was not there so i dealt with whoever that shift manager was and she just kind of came up to me kind of you know taking a thumb rubbing a chin and she's like i'm gonna need you to be on my fries and i was like gonna need you to be on my fries Is that how y'all talk to people around here <laughs> All right. So I go over and you got the fries, you got the fries. So I go over and start working on the fries. She was like, okay, I'm going to need you to stop the fries and go check my bathroom. So go check my bath. Hmm. So I go and check the bathroom and I clean. I'm going to need you to check my uh, dining area. Go clean my tables. And by that, after that, I, I knew I didn't want to work at McDonald's, so I kind of told her that I'm going to need quit. Thank yeah. you so much for the opportunity. So I immediately quit after she. She was just looking at me like I was crazy, but I knew I did not want to do that. So a friend of mine called me and said, hey, they have a two-for-one at the college, so we both can start cosmetology school together for one price. So we go and apply, and I had been doing hair all of my life. I told you that that I grew up in a in a household where my mom could not, you know, pay to get our hair done. My grandmother had the straightening comb and I was like, are you using that? And she was like, no. So I took the straightening comb and then we didn't have any money to get any type of crown royal grease or anything like that. So I kind of snuck some Crisco oil from my grandmother's house, put in some aluminum foil. And I said when I get home, I'm gonna press my hair. And I pressed my hair and when my mom saw it, my aunt saw it, they all was like, you got to do my hair. And I was probably 12 at the time. When I wasn't pressing my hair it wear braid. and girls would follow me home for me to braid their hair, follow me home from school, sixth, seventh grade for me to braid their hair. So over time, I started reading the back of boxes and found out that um, how to put in relaxers and how to do perms and so uh when i say perms i mean jerry curls so i was doing all of these i don't know if your audience know anything about jerry curls but they have to look at um eddie murphy's soul glow to find out
0: <laughs> uh yeah okay or coming to america coming to America. that's it to, yeah. to find out what a jerry curl <laughs> is well you know uh the black folks know what jerry curls yeah, are okay. so, but so- maybe not the younger
1: ones <laughs> So um but I would press my hair and I would take the the paper bags and roll my hair up at night. And so I love doing hair. So over time, you know, my friends in high school they would ask, Will you do hair? So this young lady, we were we turned we were good friends because she dated a guy that I knew in high school. So she and I became friends. We were working at a telemarketing place. So I left there and went to telemarketing selling windows but so she said hey we could become cosmetologists for the price of one i ended up getting accepted and she ended up getting pregnant but she still continued to go to school she just was skipping days and the place that we were applied had opened up a second location and so i started going to the second location Meanwhile, the young man that I was dating had been knowing him since I was six years old, grew up in church with him. He was coming to pick me up from school because his mom worked downtown about five minutes away from where I was attending class. And one of my friends from school said, Stacy, he's picking you up a little bit too much. You need to get on birth control. I'm like, no, girl, I'm a virgin It won't be none of that. He understands that we both grew up in church. There will not be any of that. Well, I was about, hmm, maybe about three or four months before graduating from cosmetology school and got pregnant. So I dropped out of cosmetology school and I tried to go and find this job real quick because I knew my mom was going to be upset and possibly even put me out of the house because she was a stern disciplinarian and... She was totally against uh, sex before marriage, let alone a baby before marriage. So I told him I had an interview, and I was going to work this night job. And he came to pick me up. I got the job and got to the training late, and they fired me this immediately. So was the first day I was to start was the first day I got fired. So I had to kind of tuck my head tail between my legs and go and tell my mom, you know, that I was pregnant. Well, over time, my mom and I weren't getting along. So I moved in with him and his mother. He was dating other girls and going to, you know, he was a couple of years younger than me. So he was still, he was in his senior year and he left me to go to the prom with somebody else. While I was at home pregnant at his house, with his child. So someone told me that a county in Lathonia, Georgia, was accepting Section 8 for single mothers. They said, but in order for you to have your name to move up the list, you got to be homeless. So he and I was arguing so badly till I left with a quarter in my pocket. I found a quarter somewhere around the house. And I called that office and I said... I am homeless. I have a daughter. By this time, I I, um, had had my daughter and she was a few months old. I need an apartment. I need somewhere to stay. So they said, perfect. We just have one to open up. So I moved out, moved there, but I was determined to get back at him. So what I said to myself, I said, if the next guy, whoever this next guy speaks to me, say hello to me, I'm going to invite him in. So the concept of that, my, my mind was, hey, in order for you to get over another guy, you got to replace him with another guy. Now, the only problem with that is that you're going to always be replacing men <laughs> if it's always about, okay, he hurt you, get another one. He hurt you, get another one. So I invited this man into my life with my one-year-old daughter. And I know that he was not for me. Matter of fact, he had a beer in his hand when he said, how you doing? I was like, I don't care. I'm going to. So some kind of way, he ended up moving in with me. So here now, I'm single with this baby now with a guy living with me on while I was on Section 8. So it's just, it got worse and worse. So I, wanted, I said, I've got to get back to church. So I told him, hey, I got to break up with you. Uh, I, I, I got to get back into my relationship with God and I'm going back to church. He says, well, I'm going with you. He goes to church and he joins that church before I did. And I'm looking like, he's like, see, I'm saved now, we can get married. So I felt pressured to marry this guy. So I did because I I didn't want this look that I had that, oh, she's a single Parent, she's a single mother. The judgment, judgment, Mm -hmm. judgment. I I just did not want that staple. If I didn't want that stigma on me, so I married him. So at least the persona would look good when we go to church, when we pull up in this raggedy BMW, the credit card that I gotten from Macy's. I don't know in the world how they would send. It was riches at the time, credit card to the projects. But they sent it to me with this suit on, looking good, (laughs) but, you know, broken. So, you know, I knew that I wasn't supposed to marry him, but I did because I didn't want this stigma. I wanted to at least look like I wasn't a single parent. And my sister spent the night with us. And that morning we woke up and she said that he molested. He denied it. He denied it. He denied
0: it. So wait, so... The man who you brought into your life when your daughter was a year old, married, followed you to church, wanted to, you know, continue the relationship, turns around and molest your sister?
1: Well, it gets worse. It gets worse. So, yes, he molested ah. my sister and my sister would not come back over. He says, I didn't do it. I don't know why she's lying on me. So by this time I'm pregnant with my daughter by him. Now, that pregnancy didn't happen because of I wanted it. What happened was I moved out the bedroom after that. I still did not know. I, I ended up moving into another place, much nicer place. So I really didn't know how to get rid of him. So I moved into the other bedroom. I was working two part-time jobs. And then also I was doing hair. And I fell asleep and some kind of way I was a very tired because I worked two three two part-time jobs and then I also did hair on the weekend. And I would stay up doing hair like almost 12 to 14 hours. So I fell asleep and he he he, he some kind of way manipulated me, opened my legs and ejaculated from behind and I found out, I, I woke up and went to the bathroom and wiped and saw semen, and I was like, "What? What did you do?" And he started laughing. So I moved out of the bed and moved in with my daughter. And a couple of months later, I found out I was pregnant. So now I have this one-year-old. So when my I had one-year-old, and then my other daughter, I think she was like three or four at the time, because they're like three, four years apart. I had become active in church I was back in the choir I was back singing because when when we got married and we came home from the justice of the peace I said are you going to church he said no I got you now so then now here I am back at the church pregnant with the youngest daughter and pregnant and still don't have the husband now back into you know coming with me it was brazen oh it gets worse (laughs) So, but, but this is what happens when you don't obey God. Okay. I knew I had a calling on my life. I knew it was not supposed to be, but I, I also knew that I was in rebellion. So I wanted to get a divorce and Lord said, no, you're going to learn that when I say no, my no means just that. So Uh, You know, I lived every day in agony, win, win, win. But this one particular night, Fred Hammond came to our church at the time. So needless to say, the worship was phenomenal. And I came home late. And he said to me, you're going to make that church. That church is going to be the cause of us separating. Because he knew my fear of being alone. But on my way home, the Lord said, you're released. And I said, how will I know? He said, you'll know when you get home. So when he said that, immediately I said, leave my house. Not tomorrow, not next week, leave my house. He couldn't crank up the car, whatever. I said, okay, you got tomorrow, you got 24 hours to have your stuff out or I'm calling the police. So he left. A few years later, I want to say about five years later by this time and I had bought my own house, it was all Section 8, um, had went, did I go back to barbering school at the time? I went, I think I, yes, I went barbering school and got my license and to do hair. So his wife, this was about, I want to say about about seven years later, because my oldest daughter was 30. No, she was probably 10. So this was about five years later. He says his wife had sent me a letter begging to have a relationship, introducing herself. And I told her, you know, no, and she said, you know, please, you're you're welcome to come over. And his wife was amazing. So I sent the girls over there because of his wife. His wife divorced him. He continued to come and get the girls and end up molesting my older daughter to the point. Now she practiced lesbianism for that very reason. That's a lot. Oh, it's, it's a lot. Because when you don't pay attention to your purpose, when you don't know the reason why it's been said, when you don't know the reason why you're here, people will tell you. When you don't find out who you are in God, we'll let life and circumstances tell us who we are. If
0: you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything.
1: If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything, for everything. And so I knew that because I would not get healed and because I did not get whole. Now that part, as far as what he did to her, I don't blame myself, but what I do feel like I invited him in and she trusted him because she had a relationship with him since she was one years old. She still had a relationship with her father um, through her grandmother. her grandmother was an apostle grandmother at her own church and so she she' had a great relationship but I, she trusted him. I trusted him to send, well, I didn't trust him, but I didn't realize of everything that was going on with the second wife that she was no longer there. So finding out what you're supposed to be doing, who you're supposed to be doing it with is so key. And so he did that to her and she didn't tell me until she was 18 years old when it was coming out in her wanting to practice this lifestyle.
0: Was she acting funny when she was younger?
1: No, I did not see that in her. I saw my daughter. She just told me she didn't want to go back over there. I'm like, why? I just don't want to go back over there. And because God wants us so hold and so healed, I promise you, when she came home about five years ago, now this guy was on his fourth wife, but he lived in another part of Georgia he lived in another part of Georgia. We had no contact with him. I live on the, we live at two totally opposite ends, maybe about an hour away. And she came to church. She says, mom, what are you gonna cook? I said, what are we gonna cook? Um, fried chicken, can you go to the store? She came back from the store and fell in my arm and she was crying. I said, what is, what's wrong? She said, I saw him and he came up to me and said, I'm sorry. I said, what? She said, I saw him. You know, I won't call his name, but she says, I saw him. He came up to me in the, so God strategically brought this whole, this whole piece, if you will, orchestrated this so they would confront each other so she could tell him what he did to her. Because God is so interested in complete wholeness and healing. He will do whatever it takes to get healing to her. For sure. So I said, how do you feel? She said, I don't know how to feel. But she cried. So healing is just as much her bread as it is mine. Bible says that healing is the children's. So she had to get to a place of healing and wholeness. But it was because sin does not, it, it promise you, it, it tells you it's going to be okay. But it's very deceptive. You can choose. I always say you can make your choice, but what you can't do is choose your consequence. You can never choose your consequence. Exactly. You can choose your, make your choice if you want to continue in sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences of sin. Adam and Eve had no idea of what the consequences would be because they chose their own will over God. And that's what I did. I chose my own will over God.
0: Now, do you believe that this triggered your path of what you called before your path of rejection? You were talking about just how the church ostracized you, people ostracized you.
1: Well, what happened was what that initial of what I went through in my 20s, once I got divorced, That started me on my path to healing and embracing fully of who God called me to be. So I went to, in a place of celibacy, I went to a place where, you know, I didn't date anybody. I was trying to find out who I was and I no longer wanted to give myself to somebody and I didn't know who I was because the minute I become who I am, you're probably going to reject me. Now, I'd rather be rejected knowing who I am, because that's a different kind of rejection. What that says is you don't have the capacity to handle my greatness. Amen. So so for me now, rejection is different, because it simply means you. if you don't like my authentic self, it's not my problem, it's yours.
0: And so everything isn't for everyone, you know, and you be your authentic self, and you
1: attract the right people in your life. Yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather be rejected being completely authentic and who I am versus trying to be somebody that I'm not and you still reject me. If I just find out who I am and then now being older and wiser, I know rejection is direction. So even with how I grew up in in church and that, I, I said the reason why I left because I could not understand my faith. I could not articulate why Christ rather than Buddha, why Christ rather than Muhammad. And so that set me on a path and a journey to learn, to grow. So I applied for Bible college just so I could know what Christianity was all about not knowing how that would flesh out, but I knew who came and got me and I knew who healed me and I knew who set me free. But what I did not know is how do I deliver that to others in such a way where they understand their faith. And so my foundation was as such that they gave me Christ, but they could not give me a reason to defend why Christ. So that set me on a path of being this now apologist, one who defends the faith. And I also teach others how to defend Christianity from a biblical perspective. And so that now shapes my worldview. So let's talk about
0: your book. You are the author of four books. Tell us about the books.
1: Well, the first book I wrote, I was working in a salon, uh, working in hair replacement for a a company, and we did not have a supervisor. We were just working, trying to make things happen, and we didn't have a supervisor. The Lord began to show me in scripture that the ants did not have a supervisor. Psalms... Uh, Proverbs 6 and 6 says, take a lesson from the ant, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and be wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. So I began to study the proverb kind of like a little bit before that time. So out of that emerged my first book that I wrote in 2016, Six Highly Successful Habits of the Ant arming yourself against laziness. And this was, this came out of an understanding that ants don't need anybody to tell them to be great. They don't need anybody to tell them to save money. (laughs) They don't need anybody to tell them be a team. So this first book, Six Highly Successful Habits of the Ant, was birthed out of that experience. And the second book that I wrote was the apostle paul transformational leadership ancient lessons for today's leader. I wrote this when I was taking a class on transformational leadership and my professor we had to do what is called a culminating paper. I was supposed to take Five six months to write it, and I wrote it in less than three months. And my professor called me on the phone. I attend uh, Regent University, and my professors all they know is my work. They don't know me. They don't know what I do. They just know. And I go to school online, so they just know my work. So he called me on the phone, and he said, "I don't know what you do, but this needs to be that." Set me on to publish. This Apostle Paul Transformational Leader. Now, while I was had finished Apostle Paul, I had also gotten a lot of done a lot of research on self-leadership and communication, given that my um, master's again is in organizational leadership. So what I did was took some concepts for the third book, Six Highly Successful Habits of the Ant 2.0, Self-Leadership and Communication. I wrote the first one in 2014. And so by the time I started doing research, I found out that these organizations are teaching the same thing that we have in biblical principles. They're just kind of not saying turn to the book of, but they have taken all of our biblical principles and compiled them into an organizational construct. So I had noticed that So I actually end up publishing this third book, Six Highly Successful Habits of the Ant, 2.0 Self-Leadership and Communication. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, she called me actually a couple of weeks ago. She says, Mom, I put all of these principles in place and I have two promotions waiting on me. So this is a workbook as well as a journal, and it has absolutely worked in the corporate sex. So this this book was designed for teens and to do workshops with leadership and the like. However, this fourth book I actually just published this year, last month, March, I had written a sermon on uprooting the orphan spirit. And as you have listened to my story, that is how I was acting. I was acting like I did not have a father. I was acting like I did not have God as my father. So all of these characteristics that I talked about and displayed in the first part of our interview, I found them <laughs> that there were there are seven behavioral disorders that is rooted in the orphan spirit. So I actually wrote this sermon and preached it and people were delivered people were set free i was still i'm still getting testimonies from that particular message and when i got home the lord said publish that and so that's how the fourth book came about this book is a little bit different because it's all revelation it's all scripture it was what the lord had downloaded in my spirit in my other books I'll make references. I'll, you know, bring in some other sources and cite it some other people. But this book was totally delivered to me and fully captured by the mouth of God through his word. So that is the fourth book.
0: So basically, the four books chronicled your life in different phases.
1: Well, they don't necessarily... I wouldn't say like the first three are really not about me but it's about what I learned along the way. Okay. I I wrote the books actually uh the first one I wrote it for both of my daughters because I told them more than you get anything get wisdom. Wisdom will take you much further than money. It'll take you much further Than the who's who and who you know, because Solomon could have asked for money, but he asked for wisdom. And so that's one of the problems that I had in my life. I did not have wisdom. I was always functioning from a place of emotionalism, and my emotions drove. So the wisdom, then as I began to teach leadership in church sect, I found that we could learn from the Apostle Paul, who wrote over 75% of the New Testament, and by the third book, it was a compilation of what I had learned that I wanted to share with other leaders and other people. And but the fourth book was something that I've never done before, which was literally take what Scripture says about this spirit and dissect. So I guess you're right. I guess you could say that that it does kind of chronicle, give a, a chronalization of where I have came from. To
0: know. Lastly, tell us about the Meta Leadership Factory and your experience as a professor of business management and leadership.
1: Okay, Meta Leadership Factory was actually born again from having to create an organization. Um, my minor is in coaching and mentoring, and my professor challenged us to have a consulting firm. So I remember. Dr. Chan, who used to be the president of Beulah Heights University when I was there in 1998, saying that we are a leadership factor. So I took that concept and then I looked up the word meta which means before cross after where you can actually transition take people from one from where they are walk them through the middle or the mentorship if you will and then the after coach them into where they don't need you that is the essence of Uh, developing people is you want people to get to the place that they don't. And I think sometimes we have failed as leaders because we want to hold people to a particular low state so we can kind of feel a little bit better about our ego. But real transformational leadership and real coaching is about getting people to the place where they don't need you. And so that's how Meta Leadership Factory was formed. It was formed from a place that Getting people from top-down, mentorship, side-by-side, where we walk together, and then releasing them to be all that God has called them to be. From that, and we talk about full circle, when I asked my first husband to leave, he went to the church that I was going to and asked to speak to the assistant pastor of the church. Now, this was about 25 years ago when he asked to speak to the pastor. The pastor called me on the phone. And so I went there and I said, I don't care what you say. There's nothing left. I'm not getting back with him, any of that. Well, this assistant pastor, we kind of remained kind of a distant friends, friends from a distance. So he is now one of the deans and chairs of business and leadership at Heights. And when he saw that I had graduated... He commented. And so I reached out to him and I said, "Um, is there an opportunity to teach at Beulah Heights? He said, yes. As soon as you graduate, I will hire you. He said, what is your focus? I said, organizational leadership. He said, okay, good. I'm the chair of that department. So I didn't have to go through an interview (laughs) process because I've been knowing him for 30 years. So God, again, when you step into purpose, things speed up. It's amazing when you step into the place where God has designed you to be before you were formed in your mother's womb, things speed up. So that's how I became, uh, which is something I've been working on since 2016. I've been praying to be a professor. Now I am, um, as I mentioned before, um, in school working on my doctorate of strategic leadership. So it has been quite a journey. But walking with God is an amazing journey, and it's not something that I could not have dreamt up myself. As you saw in the beginning half of my life, I didn't know what to do with my life. But as soon as I released my life, I made a mess of my life, as a matter of fact. But God has a way of untangling untangling your life once you step into his hands and embrace him as father. And that is what has happened. I could have not been any of these things had it not been for God.
0: What an amazing story you have and what strength you have demonstrated um, with the stories of your early life into your current life and what an awesome foundation you had with having the mother that you had and the parents that you had. So where can people find you? So let's start with if people want to attend your church um, what's the location? The name is Strong Tower, but what's your location?
1: We're located at 3151 Lenora Church Road, Snellville, Georgia, 30039. We're on Facebook. Um, you can like our page, which is Strong Tower Christian Center. Um, that's where the church is located, Suite 500. So it's 3151 Lenora Church Road. Suite 500, Snellville, Georgia
0: 30039. Also, the links to the books that you author will be included in the description, as well as all of your social media information. There website that people can find you as well. And do you have any Instagram handles, any other Facebook handles?
1: Yes, um, my website is Stacy H twyman.org. My Instagram is at let's go to work. That's the number two. And my Twitter is at let's go to work. And that's let's L E T S G O T W K. I'm also on Facebook, Stacy H Twyman, and I can be reached there as well.
0: And again, all of the information will be listed in the description on Lady T Speaks Podcast website. Again, Mrs. Twyman, thank you so much for giving us an amazing interview. I'm am so appreciative of your time, your space and energy.
1: And I, I just want to thank you. I thank you so much for allowing people like us to share our, our story. And, and when I say people like us, um, uh, a lot of times people see you know where you are but they don't know where you've been and uh, a lot of times even be jealous of where you are and it's like until you understand that this glory doesn't come without a story there's mm. no me <laughs> i love
0: that yeah. i love that well again thank you for coming on the show and you all are listening to lady t speak <laughs>